You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks on Radio Regent in lovely downtown Toronto, and I'm your host, Rebecca Hayden. Please visit us at radioregent.com and join our live chat, or connect with me at rebeccahayden.com. Hello there. Hello there, everybody. Hi. And, and hi, Dan. My guest today on Ayahuasca Talks is Dan Cleland. And Dan Cleland has his own podcast, The Dan Cleland Experience. He's also Daniel Cleland Experience. My apologies. And the Salter- no Saltera Healing Center in Costa Rica. And Soltara, that's S O L T A R A. Soltara, my apologies. Okay. So Dan is actually calling, he's on the phone from uh, Costa Rica. Um, so, um, how are things in Costa Rica? I imagine they're lovely. <laughs> things are incredible in Costa Rica. This, uh, this country continues to surprise me with the overall feeling that you get here, the vibe, you know, it's surrounded by green, it's sunny most days, the weather is beautiful, the temperature is always nice and warm, sometimes a little too warm, but not nearly as uh, oppressive as some of the Amazon heat that uh, that I was uh, accustomed to um, having been in Peru for the past few years. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're just getting started with, uh, with Soltara, and I've just been out at the property there, this incredible 21-acre property on the beach, <laughs> and I've been spending time out there, and it's, it's like all of your worries just kind of melt away when you're here. I so, love you know, Costa Rica. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've been there. I've been there three times. And, um, yeah, it's just one of those places that everybody I know who's been to Costa Rica comes away thinking, how do I move there? <laughs> how, yeah. do, how do um, I rearrange my life so that I can live there? Coming down. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. In fact, the locals talked about that. I think that you know they started to to realize that they were under siege. <laughs> but it Pretty is much. it's a beautiful place, and and I love it. It's actually the first place that I that I did medicine. Um, Iboga was my first plant medicine, and I did it in Costa Rica for the first time. So it was at least nice to have a, a comfortable familiar surrounding for me when I was doing my first medicine. Yeah, I think that's the key word is, uh, you know, for me, getting a little bit older um, and just having spent so much time traveling and doing all the real rugged backpacker stuff over the past, like, 10 years or so, I just, you know, what once was an adventure just started becoming kind of inconvenient and uncomfortable Mm. you know and so i think um that's one of the reasons that led me to want to you know move out of the amazon and get into a more uh comfortable environment you know where you have a little bit more access to higher quality services and you know the lodgings are better and the cell phone signals better (laughs) you know it's just a little more westernized and well i don't necessarily need to have westernized services um it does give you that little bit extra kind of taste of you know that familiarity that taste of how things are at home and uh and make life just a little bit more comfortable so sure and you know it runs the gamut in terms of you know what what the best 
option is for for each person for me it was it was perfect going into the jungle i needed to do that and wanted to desperately but i was ready at that point to do that not everybody is but um let's get back to your story and to um to what brought you to the medicine i mean how how did that unfold for you discovering ayahuasca well i mean just like i think most people who are called to the medicine i was uh suffering from some um uh, some undesirable life circumstances that I think were inevitably a result of of what was going on internally. Um, and a lot of the stuff that was going internally, again, probably in line with a lot of the people who come uh, and feel called to the medicine, is that, you know, there were some things originating from traumas from my past that had acted as, uh, as, as contaminants um, throughout my life and, and, and spurred me to act in ways that were, you know, less than, less than healthy or mm-hmm. uh, even downright self-destructive. Right. Um, and um, and the, the results I was getting in my life in terms of every area, really, romantically, financially, career-wise, you know, and then in terms of uh, uh, substance abuse and things like that, I just, uh, I got to a point where I'd hit rock bottom, and and that's when, you know, I I just, I, need, I knew I needed some help. I knew I needed to clear out some of the, uh, the negative programs that were internally in my psyche and my emotional body that were poisoning my life and, and creating these undesirable circumstances. Right. Yeah. So um, a lot of us can relate to this story, um, but, but how did you discover the medicines? Like, how did they get onto your radar? Yeah, well, I was, uh, I was actually very intrigued by the... Um, this is going back to about 2008, I guess. Uh, I was intrigued by the the, the Mayan philosophies of uh, the 2012 and the, and the changing uh, changing paradigms on wow. Earth. And you know, I've mm-hmm. always been uh, focused on conservation of the environment, and and always been very concerned about how things are progressing on Earth with the activity, the interaction between humans and the environment. Mm-hmm. So that led me to some reading and some, some authors that I was interested in. One of them was a guy named Daniel Pinchbeck. Mm-hmm. And I, at that point, you know, I, I was already traveling. Um, I was uh, actually working uh, as, a, as a tour leader for a Canadian company called G Adventures, and I was... Uh, I had picked up Daniel Pinchbeck's book, 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl. And uh, so he went into uh, an exploration of various different theories and phenomena that were happening uh, that might suggest that there was some kind of a shift coming in, in 2012. Again, this is four years before 2012, so of course now we're, we're past that date. Right. Um, but in that book... In that book, he was describing this uh, 
this powerful psychedelic medicine and, and his journeys down into Brazil to work with the Santo Daime. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was in Brazil at the time as I was reading about this, I was actually leading a tour from, uh, Caracas, Venezuela down to, uh, uh, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. So I was actually on a riverboat going from Manaus to Santarém, uh, Brazil. It's a five-day boat trip from one city to the next. And uh, so, of course, there's lots of time to read. And it's right at that point that I was digesting this material that uh, Daniel Pinchback was writing about in his book. And it was odd because um, there was um, a, very, a coincidental... Uh, event that happened one of the friends that I had made on the boat you know you you I had my own group of tourists on there but then you know there are also other other travelers on the boat and uh, one of the guys was getting off at uh, at uh, Santarang to um, to go off and and actually work with ayahuasca mm -hmm. with a, a shaman or with the Santo Daime there so as I was reading about it, <laughs> that kind of knowledge was was catalyzed by meeting someone who is actually going to experience the medicine. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. a pretty direct so route then, right there. Yeah. <laughs> right, but it, it kind of you know it kind of went into the, you know kind of got put on the back burner uh, for the next couple of years, uh, and it wasn't until you know it was in my memory, it was in my field of awareness, but I, I didn't really feel called to experience it. And actually, I think I was a little bit uh, intimidated by, you know, by reading about Daniel's experiences, because oftentimes when people describe the ayahuasca experience, they're very, you know, very evocative and vivid mm -hmm. descriptions that, uh, you know, that make it seem, um, that make it seem as though it's very difficult process. So, uh, and it can be, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then it wasn't until a couple years later um, I was... Um, so you didn't do it right uh, there and then when you had that opportunity, is that it? Because you weren't ready yet? Right. Okay, all right. I, w I wasn't ready. I was made aware of it, and then it was a couple of years later when I found myself in that place uh, where I, I, you know, I, I was in what you might call rock bottom, and, and then because I already had this field of awareness, uh, of ayahuasca, it was easy for me to for me to move on to that as a potential solution. Right. So you did. I did. <laughs> and uh, can you describe what what that experience was like? Sure. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I thought I was ready for it, <laughs> but I wasn't. Uh oh. Um, it was, uh, it was incredible though. I mean, it, it was quite uh, difficult and it, it really put me to the test in a lot of different ways. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was shockingly, uh, intense and, uh, and profound. And I didn't really, I didn't really understand how profound the human experience could go until, that night, it 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 literally blew me away. I was speechless for about four hours. Right. Uh, and the first thing I could say afterwards was, uh, you know, I went up to the guy who invited me 
to the ceremony, and I just gave him a big hug and just said, thank you. That's all I could say. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so what happened? Yeah. What, what, can you fill in some of the details there about um, what, in what way were you, you impacted? Like, did you have visions? Um, what kind of profound messages did you get in that experience? <laughs> All right. Well, I can take you through the play-by-play. <laughs> well, that's um, the whole idea. You know, I love <laughs> I love when people tell their stories because you'd be surprised how big of an experience just hearing someone's story can be for someone else. I mean, it obviously was for you, you know, um, hearing Pinchbeck's story. And, and I heard people's stories, so they're they're really important if you're comfortable talking about it, which is, of course, why we're here, right? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> okay, so... So the way I came about it was uh, um, from that that point of rock bottom, I was laying in a hospital bed in Australia, and and I was pretty busted up. And um, and then I, I once I decided to to seek out the medicine for some help, I I planned a trip to Peru uh, from Australia. Mm-hmm. I wasn't very well organized. Right. I, I didn't actually book a spot at a retreat. I was just aware of a place that was hosting retreats. It was connected to uh, Daniel Pinchback's website, therealitysandwich.com. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I traveled to Peru to, you know, I was basically expecting to just <laughs> rock up to the retreat center and knock on the door and say, hey, can you guys take a poor soul who's looking for Aww. healing? Um, <laughs> I, I but, know you're uh, not the only one. You, you cannot possibly be the only one. I've heard stories like this, so it, it shouldn't be too surprising that they experience this. I wonder if you yeah. will. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's not the best way to go no, about it. No, of course. But, you know. Yeah. So it didn't work out for me. I didn't actually quite get to the... Um, to the retreat for a series of, of unfortunate events. But what happened was I managed to connect with somebody there who had just finished an ayahuasca retreat, and you know he was able to describe in detail what the experience was like, and, and we, we spent a few days together hanging out and, um, and forging a friendship. So then, even though I didn't get the ayahuasca experience that I sought out in Peru, uh, this, uh, this friend of mine, he was living in New Mexico and he was connected to some people doing, uh, clandestine ceremonies in New Mexico. Uh-huh. So for starters, <laughs> that was the set and setting. Yeah. I, uh, I went down to New Mexico, rented a car in Albuquerque and, uh, cruised through the range to get to a place out in, out in the mountains, very small little, tiny little town out in the New Mexico range, uh, not far away from Silver City. And uh, Okay, you don't have to give too many of, details. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not, not going to say exactly where it was. Sure. Um, but um, but there's yeah, some, there about, some brave souls are out there offering ceremonies, and, and I really admire them, and they do take some big chances, but... For such a miraculous yeah. thing to offer people. Yeah, you know that the the, uh, the DEA is a lovely agency that <laughs> wants to protect society, right? So they're trying to keep those evil uh, 
clandestine ayahuasca arrows from from healing people. Um, so yeah, we don't want to give too many details away, but uh, but there that's you are. The, that's where the the ceremony took place. There were about thirteen or fourteen people in the ceremony. Uh, we we all got together in this room. It was wide open and screened off uh, windows, looking out on the range just before sunset. So there was this incredible sunset, this orangey pink and red and magenta hues off in the distance as the sun was going down over top of the mountains. And it kind of felt like, um, you know, you could feel the spirit entering the room at that point. You're just in this, you know, magical destination, this magical location surrounded by so much space and, and you know, already you could experience the awe of, of just being alive on earth. And uh, so we, you know, we, we had a conversation, myself and the shaman, and he explained to me what to expect. He said... Oh, that, tell me um, what he said. I, I'd love to know if anybody can tell you what to expect. <laughs> he was talking more physical, right? Well, he said a couple things that, that stood out for me. One is that, um, I mean, he, he was explaining what the plant is, how it works, sure. and what you can expect physically in kind of a mundane way. Yes. But he said drinking as in a group, um, the, the process, he said it's kind of like everybody gets into an airplane together mm-hmm. and and you take off together and you cruise at 30,000 feet and then and then at the end of your flight you land all together and ideally everyone's still on the airplane and everyone's safe and sound oh my goodness (laughs) really uh, wow that's quite an intro (laughs) how'd you feel about that (laughs) the reason he told me that was because you know he he doesn't want he didn't want people kind of getting up and wandering around. Oh, I see. Now I see the reference. Don't open the door and, and, and like also fall. To, <laughs> also to address the fact that, you know, everybody's kind of in the same, going through the same experience. So, sure. you know, the idea is to kind of keep this this energy, um, this kind of group energy. Everyone's Everyone's got the same goals as to heal, you know, so everyone kind of stays together in the experience. You have to be conscious that everyone else is on that airplane with you too, so try not to disturb their process. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then another thing he said to me was that uh, there's a portal, and, you know, you, you drink enough medicine. The idea is to drink enough medicine to go through that portal because that's where the work happens. So you might be intimidated and you might, you know, you might say have one dose of ayahuasca and and get close to that portal, but, you know, think like, oh, I can handle this. So I'm I'm comfortable. Maybe I won't drink anymore. uh, And I'll just, I'll just have a manageable, uh, (laughs) manageable journey. Yeah. I have this feeling you needed that message. (laughs) Yeah, he encouraged me to, to to drink enough to go through that portal. Um, and of course, uh, when the time came, I did, uh, and that was 
that was important for me. Mm-hmm. So we everybody had their first dose, and you know, just as the sun was going down, and and so we kind of sat there, and and some people were were catching sooner than others. So I think even before it got dark, there some people were visibly uh, mareado or or um, becoming, you know, under the under the effective ayahuasca some people were um beginning to make unusual physical movements uh one girl was was weeping mm-hmm. um some people were making odd sounds or had you know gas coming from them or or whatever mm-hmm. so i sat there and and i i had the first dose i took might have been a, a shot glass worth it was quite concentrated and as the the effects did come on, and I had a couple of surges, but uh, you know, based on the explanation of the shaman, I, I didn't feel as though I was I was crossing through that portal. I felt it was quite manageable. I was I was often uh, standing up and walking around the space, or I'd go outside and and have a, a smoke. Or then um, two hours into the experience, the shaman uh, asked everybody respectfully if they wanted a second dose so some people did get up and have a second dose i was one of them shortly after that maybe 15 minutes after that um the effects came on quite rapidly and, and, and quite strong uh, there were some people playing instruments in the space my friend was one of them and i for the life of me i could not remember what how to how to call the instrument he was uh, he was playing it was some kind of like almost like some kind of an accordion like not mm-hmm. an accordion with all those different notes but it was something he was uh, squeezing and it was it was emitting this tone that was at like the same frequency as ohm wow and um, and he was also chanting ohm at the same time and uh, and I was just these vibrations coming out of this instrument and from this side of the room you know my eyes were closed i i didn't i couldn't see where it was coming from i could only hear it but it was it was creating it was just a, like a stream of that vibration that it that sound it was like a stream of color that was just entering my torso and just going straight through me it was it was insane. I'd never felt anything like that. And, and the, the effects were just uh, becoming stronger and stronger. And uh, about at that same point, the, the ayahuasquero, the shaman, he was also walking around the room with a chacapa, like a leaf rattle. Okay. So it's, it's like a bouquet of, of leaves, and they shake it, and it's, uh, they shake it to, uh, to a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, very familiar shamanic stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and he was blowing um, tobacco, blowing mapacho on people. Mm. So I, I felt at this point I couldn't see, but uh, they were right above me, shaking this leaf rattle and blowing smoke on me, and um, and my friend was playing this instrument, chanting home, and I was feeling all these vibrations and colors moving through me. And uh, I was trying my hardest to, to manage it. Um, I, was, I kept getting visions of, uh, of my sisters 
and uh, they would be smiling at me, and and then uh, you know they would kind of ground me. I was trying to hold on to those visions because my mind was beginning to break through that portal and, and go into unknown territory. Uh, so I was trying to focus on on my sisters and and keeping my keeping my awareness in the world that I knew. Um, but there was just no chance of me doing that. The medicine was too powerful for me. So, um, so at this point, you know, with all of this stuff going on, it just, I, 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 I guess, uh, I crossed that threshold and that's when I felt the purge coming on. So, uh, I, I knew that I was going to vomit. The nausea began to just to, to take control. I just in a split second it came on, and um, yeah, I, I got up and had some difficulty locating my uh, my purge bucket because you know it was you've experienced it. Sometimes you can become quite inebriated, and I wasn't anticipating that, uh, but I had lost all my motor skills. And I, my vision was completely uh, impaired. I just I couldn't see and I could barely move. So uh, I I had some difficulty finding my my purge bucket and Aww. subsequently, without getting too graphic, <laughs> uh, winded up uh, popping like a champagne bottle all over the inside of the maloka oh, <laughs> or goodness. the ceremonial space. Wow. Uh, so so found myself. Uh, on hands and knees, um, purging basically everything that I, it felt like I was purging everything that I'd consumed for the past decade. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, it, it can go quite deep. Uh, and, and this is often one thing that, that frightens people off is when they hear about the purge, nobody likes to vomit. No. And if you do, you're a little bit odd. But, um, but for anybody listening, trust us, this is a very small part of the experience, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> but it can be one of the most transformative. It can, it absolutely. Really can. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so much that goes along with it. It's, it's, not just a, it's not just a physical purge of you emptying your stomach content, Mm-mm. but it goes so deep that you are actually releasing you are releasing trauma, you are releasing uh, toxins that, you know, are coming from your depths, mm-hmm. and with the spasming and the, and the contractions that are going on in your guts when this is all happening, it's loosening up things that, you know, may have calcified or, like, or uh, built up and adhered to your tissues for, like, all these years. And some of that, you know, maybe physical, or some of that maybe a physical representation of of emotional baggage uh, or traumas that you, you know, have acquired and have been carrying around. So, you yeah. know, this this initial purge, I had never purged like that before in my entire life mm-hmm. until that until that moment. And yes, it was it was disgusting, <laughs> but I released. So much from that purge, uh, it just it just got everything out of me, um, and 
And then, you know, someone came and helped me because, you know, obviously somebody had to clean up the mess I made on the floor uh, and I was incapable of doing it. So, so some of the facilitators were there uh, to come in and shine a light for me and, uh, and, and get me up and take me to the restroom so I could, I could clean myself up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a while to do that because there was basically just a tiny little trickle of water coming out of the top. We were out in the middle of the desert. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. So there was no water pressure. My so, goodness. you know, I was in there washing myself while several other people came in and, and did their thing in the washroom and left. Yeah, these absolute um, angels that help <laughs> at times like that. Yeah, abso- like... Absolutely. Abso- it, it felt just like that. <laughs> yeah, um, it did for me too. <laughs> it felt like she was an angel. Just like I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe the dedication she had to help me by coming to like clean up my vomit and <laughs> lift me up and carry me to the bathroom and help me like, you know, help me get myself sorted. Um, but it certainly felt that way. And, uh, and then after that, after that session was over, you know, I, I, I went back into the space and of course, you know, the, the uh, journey lasts for several hours. So, um, so I was in the space and, and, uh, no longer nauseous because I, you know, I had discharged everything I needed to discharge. And at that point, you know, it, it started getting into some, uh, some more revelations and, and more of the psychological journey that, um, for example, uh, I, a couple weeks before that ceremony, I was, uh, my, my, my dog died. She was, uh, 17 years old Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I, I really loved my dog, you know, may sound cheesy, but she was like my best friend. Oh, I think everybody, everybody can relate to that. Who's ever had a pet for sure. Yeah. Right. And so that was, it was, it was especially traumatic because of the way it happened. Um, I, I was actually in the hospital getting a a hernia repaired when it happened. Mm. And, um, and my sister, you know, we knew she was having problems, my dog, you know, she, we knew she was having issues for a couple of years, but I, you know, I was hopeful that she would just keep going, you know, like 17 years, she just kept going and kept going and kept going. That's pretty old for a dog. Yeah. She hung in there an awfully long time for you. (laughs) I know, right? Sometimes that's how and, it feels, um, yeah. So I'm in the hospital, and I get a call from my sister. Um, she's very emotional. She's very upset, and, and she's you know she says, Dan, Dan, Molly's dying. So what had happened was that she started, you know, not eating and drinking. She was panting. It was the middle of the summer, and, uh, and so they... They they got her in the van. They they brought her from the cottage back to my my hometown, um, and uh, and so we connected on Skype over our computer. So I was sitting in my hospital bed with a laptop, and we had, we were connected on Skype video. And my, my the veterinarian was there. She said, "Sorry, Dan. Sorry, she's just she's lost the will to live." And uh, and so this is right in the on the back uh, patio, the deck of our house in uh in walkerton my hometown 
And my two two of my sisters were were there. They were crying and crying and crying. My dog just looked really rough, and the vet was apologizing to me. And so I basically watched them put her to sleep um, from a hospital bed over my laptop. You know, they were uh, they were all there. Everybody was emotional, and they shaved a little spot in her leg. And then the vet gave her the first needle, which which you know made her unconscious. And then gave her the second needle which stopped her heart so then right then and there I watched my dog die and I wasn't able to be there you know like my sisters were and did and all so this that was pretty tough did all this happen before your ayahuasca experience yeah like two weeks before wow yeah that's so, interesting um, my cat died yeah, before so, I did iboga too I think that you know she was like okay I've done my part now it's the time to you do yours you know I don't know. It just yeah, felt that's like that. Unfortunate. Yeah. But long life, so, right? What's that? That's a long life. Seventeen. That's a pretty long life for a dog. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a little bit of, of stuff coming from that, which uh, you know I, I hadn't really grieved from that. Mm-hmm. So, so then during the ceremony, um, I was able to actually cry okay. and like and grieve and let that emotional release happen that, you know, I, I was always, I wouldn't let myself cry. I, you know, I was super, super rigid. Um, so I was able to, to grieve and, and let that process happen. Was this after the, the purge? This is after the purge. I mean, really the, the whole purge thing, it was like, it just, everything just got super intense, and mm-hmm. then I started purging. I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't really glean anything from that except right. for the physical purge. I, before anything happened, I needed to get that purge out because my body was toxic. Right, of course. Um, so, so that was, you know, that was the first thing I needed to happen. Got the purge done, and then started, you know, and then this emotional purge came, and then, you know, I, um, I was having uh, historically having some issues with my father and. My relationship to him, um, and, and my self perception based on what I thought he thought of me, right. and, and so that was kind of you know I wasn't living up to his standards. I wasn't the kind of person where that that he wanted me to be. You know, he wasn't proud of me, and all this stuff. And um, and so I I was able to go through through that relationship and and you know mentally start fixing it in myself and and you know that that has actually manifested physically into a much better relationship in real life going forward right but um but that was one thing that happened and you know just just really feeling the love for my family that that I didn't, I didn't really acknowledge that much um that was kind of an important uh you know realization and Getting getting ideas about my life path and where I was at the moment, I was just taking on a new uh, job that I thought was might be something I was going to do forever, and I, you know, so I was kind of, but I was it was making me a little bit nervous. It was a job going out to work on the ocean, so I was a little bit a little bit anxious about engaging that new adventure, and yet at the same time, I uh, so I was a little bit uncertain about actually making the decision to do it. And at the same time was wondering if it was something that I was going to do like for the rest of my life. So the message I got was do it. You've got to do it. 
you cannot turn this down, but it's only going to be temporary for you. So, you know, so it helped me make an imminent decision in my life that, that affected my life path, which was, which was a tangible uh, benefit. And then, you know, just some more, some more like uh, intangibles, just kind of connecting with the universe, looking up at the sky, seeing all the stars and the moon and, um, and just feeling that kind of profound connection to the flow of life and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I'm sure there are more things that, that transpired, but, but those are the, the most salient ones. And I think the, at the end of it, what I had gotten out of it, uh, I was able to define it. You know, we had to talk the next day. And I was able to really define it. I, I found... I found the definition to five different words <laughs> that I didn't know the definition to before that ceremony. I didn't really know the definition to before that ceremony. Okay. That was love, intensity, uh, profound, medicine, <laughs> and agony. Wow. I didn't know what all those things really meant until that ceremony, but after that ceremony, I knew what they meant. So how did you discover what agony meant? Well, just that that period of time where I was just so uncomfortable and the medicine was getting so intense. And, and I, like, okay, so actually, I had two false starts on that purge. Uh, you know, once I, I explained that I was having some difficulty getting the bucket I couldn't find I couldn't see anything I couldn't find my flashlight I was just helpless just feeling around like a like a dummy in the night um looking for this bucket and then the you know the the purge came whether I was I was trying to hold in the purge came but I didn't want to vomit inside the space so I held it in my mouth oh. and uh yeah that's and, agony um, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find the bucket so you know for the life of me so I ended up swallowing it oh and, and then you know I, I knew it was still coming so <laughs> I just was dying to find this bucket and I found I I, I I still couldn't find it so then the purge came a second time and uh and I held it in my mouth again oh, goodness. just just agonizing to find this bucket and then, I, so I, I tried to swallow it again, but just as I was swallowing it the second time, just it, the third one just came out, and it just like, blah, just exploded. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's so, always you know, it, it, there's that, a responsiveness that, to to these medicines sometimes, and you know, I, it's almost like I can hear a conversation in your description of what happened, and Mother Ayahuasca saying, "I'm sorry, but you know, this is happening, and you better." You better be okay with it, right? The, the, Let go. Yeah, she can become control. so forceful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, sorry, this is happening. Deal with it. Open up. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and then the just ayahuasca, it can be quite uncomfortable. You know, I often have, I often have some kind of physical, uh, slight physical battle when I'm under the, the medicine, uh, you know, it's almost like you're kind of having a fever. The medicine's working through your body and, sure. and just shaking every one of your cells and just kind of saying, hey, I'm here. 
you know, wake up, <laughs> clean yourself, let's get you back in line here. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess the, I guess the agony part was originated from the, from the time before the purge and the time after the purge while I was sitting in the bathroom, uh, with this tiny little trickle of water cleaning chunks of bean and cheese burrito out of my nose. And, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind of fun stuff. Oh, so. goodness. Yeah, sometimes I, I remember when I was doing Iboga once, um, and, I, you know, we don't really mean to get so graphic, but there are lessons in all of this, believe it or not. You know, it's just what you said earlier. You, you hear it in people you know, go back in their minds to times they've thrown up. And believe me, when you're in a medicine, it's a very different experience. There's there's always something much, much greater behind this, <laughs> the, the physical stuff that we're describing. And I remember once when I was yeah. doing a boga and I I was having big purges and I, something got stuck in my throat. So it just wasn't going one way or another. And I remember complaining about it. And I was complaining to one of the facilitators who she's been to Africa, she's, she's just, I describe her as a warrior, you know, <laughs> and, and the stories that they tell, I, it just makes me feel so in awe of the kinds of challenges they've faced. Anyway, it, it just forced me to kind of, you know, sit up and say, hey, I'm just going to, you know, let this happen until it's ready to, to be loose and not complain about it all the time. It just brought my attention to it. And <laughs> I complained once and they said, okay, well, it'll come out. I complained again, and I, I realized, oh, my God, what am I doing? What are they supposed to be doing for me? They can't do anything. I just got to be patient and, you know, and, and try to be the warrior that, you know, that, that I know that I can be. And, yeah, it, it, it let loose eventually. These things aren't as big and important as we think they are, you know. Patience is key, and so is letting go. Yeah. You, know, you really have to let the process happen at its own pace. Sometimes that happens really fast. Sometimes that happens a little bit more slowly. And, you know, and along with so many things in life, sometimes those slow-going processes are the ones that you need to go through to learn patience. Oh, yeah, for sure. And trust, you know, trusting the process. We're all, we all want to put Band-Aids on things quickly if they hurt, and oh, my God, and everybody's got to come and fix this. And it's like sometimes we just got to let this stuff unfold, you know, and allow it to happen. Absolutely, yeah. So was that like your only night there in that facility or did yeah. you stay? And Yeah, I mean, I, I I had only planned for one night there. So it's a good thing that, you know, I, my process did happen. But I needed it to happen fast. I, I needed that. I needed that like that uh, wake up call. Um, and because it happened fast, because it happened so profoundly, so quickly for me, it just, it propelled me on this path. You know, I, I just knew that I was working with something extremely special. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I just immediately, just because, you know, during the ceremony, I just thought, I thought of all these different people in my life about how much ayahuasca could help them. Oh, yeah, and of course. So, you know, I just immediately started sharing about it, started talking about it. It almost became my religion. For, <laughs> of like, you know, yeah. Um, we can all identify with like, this. <laughs> yeah. It started scaring people <laughs> in my life. Of course. You know, yep. my parents thought I was crazy. They thought I was like drinking some poison with some cult that was 
brainwashing me. Oh, and, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, hey, particularly to... because I was talking about them and my visions and stuff of like course. that. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, my friends, well, they were a little more open-minded at the time. It was like, you know, they're like, dude, maybe you should just chill out a little bit on this stuff. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's also a good note for people because, you know, I've seen, I've been present for hundreds or thousands. Are you there? Oh, and I think that we have lost you. Okay. I'm going to have to play some music and try to get Dan back on the line. So, we have got some music from some lovely ambient music from Lowe's, uh, sorry, Lee Rosevere. We're going to listen to that and I'm going to try to get Dan back on the line. And we're back. Dan, are you there? I'm there. Can you hear me? Yeah. That was so weird. I could totally hear you, but you couldn't hear me. (laughs) That's okay. So uh, we were talking about the the evangelists we become when we do do our ceremonies and come back and and need to to tell the world about it. (laughs) Right. So there's a way to do that. I'm not sure if I've completely figured it out, but there's a way to do that that doesn't make you sound like a freak, (laughs) you know, and is a little bit more... uh, likely to convert people okay you know? oh my goodness uh, okay so the underlying goal here is like we do want it we just don't want them to know okay right yeah you don't want you don't want to be hard selling people trying okay. to convince them to come and do this the oh last no this is reminding the, me of the, the worst days of my life is go up to your friend and say you need to do this because you need ayahuasca to help you. And Mother Ayahuasca, her, the spirit of Mother Ayahuasca is going to come and heal you. You know, you, that's not going to, that's not going to help you. It's not a good friend, idea. Okay. You know? All right. Which so, is, the first it. thing you need to do is lead by example, which is to just become a better person. Absolutely. And, and do your homework because uh, ayahuasca gives you homework to do. Ayahuasca is a diagnostic tool that shows you this is, you know, these are the moves you need to make in your life so that you can live the way you want to live. Um, and I think uh, what, what a lot of us in the field are discovering now is that the most difficult part uh, and the most important part is integration Absolutely. after this big, brilliant experience happens. So you have to take what you learn from the ceremony, take it into your life, and begin to express that in the real world. Sure. Yeah. Um, and if you do that more. right, people will naturally come to you and say, "Hey, what are you doing? You know, you just <laughs> lately you've, you've like things are really working out for you. You know, like you seem to just be in this like really great space, and you're taking good care of yourself. And like, what's going on, man? What's the, what's the deal here? And then you say, "Well, you know, I." I went went down south and uh, had an experience with this really powerful medicine that you know is seems to be helping quite a few people get through um, some of the same issues I've been working with and uh, you know yeah and then you know there's no hard selling no hard selling casual <laughs> conversations lead by example and um, and that that's how the you know that's how the word gets around properly and that's that's I think- how we helped ayahuasca spread her 
vines around the world to heal society. I think you're absolutely right about that. And I know that everybody's got their own way of doing these things. Um, I mean, that kind of work, integration, there has to be agreement there. People have to want to do it. So um, it's something that I recommend, you know, wholeheartedly. Um, and and I think that once anybody gets into it truly and deeply, they see that, you know, it's going to challenge you and you, you do have to be committed to it. But, yeah, leading by example is, is really, you know, the only way. Having said that, um, you know, lots of us come back and we want to talk about it. And, and of course, we're going to get all kinds of different reactions and, and people will continue to um, to go about it in whatever way they do and and either, you know, make a mess of things or not and it really doesn't matter it's it's not great it's not comfortable it's not easy you know talking to people about something so profound and and feeling like you know they're they're laughing at you behind their you know behind their hands or whatever but um i i either way you go about doing this the word is getting out there because there's something inside of people that you know the people who are going to connect with it that's going to perk up and say, there's something here that I got to know more about. I don't care how crazy it sounds. I know, you know, and I'm sure they did see the change in you. People always do. Right. Did you, did you get that kind of feedback? Well, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, From that point, when I began talking about it, my parents thought I was crazy. And then, you know, I started, uh, I started guiding people down to, uh, South America to work with shamans, and I, I, I founded the the small uh, company uh, Pulse Tours uh, back in 2011. I started doing that, um, and from a very small scale, you know, they started to see the changes that were happening to me in my own life, and then sure. also beginning to see a lot of the, you know, descriptions and experiences coming from the, the clients I was working with, um, and then when I I built the retreat center down in Peru. Um, you know, my dad actually was the the guy to lend me some money to build it. So he go. became a believer after having seen all these changes in me and in other people. And then that was step one. You know, then I, I recently uh, uh, exited Pulse Tours. I sold it and, and moved on from from there and from Peru. And now we're you know, starting this other retreat center, Soltara, in Costa Rica. And, you know, it's, of course, being in Costa Rica, the scale of the investment is much, much bigger. The property is much more expensive. It's on the beach. The construction is much more expensive. So, um, whereas I was, my dad was the one guy to help me, uh, um, invest in the, the, the smaller scale operation in Peru, now this time, I need more investors, <laughs> and not only is my dad coming in for a lot more than he came in on Peru, but my uncle's coming in, and uh, my cousin of mine is coming in, and my uh, a, a, an old family friend of mine, one of my dad's friends from high school, is coming in, hmm. and they're they're coming in for some big bucks on this thing. You know, it's this is a seven figure project that mm-hmm. it's it's going to cost us to move forward. So, of course. Um, so not only did my dad take a chance on me, but these other guys 
now, after all these years of, of having witnessed how my life has transformed and having heard all of the different stories from the thousands of people I've worked with over the past few years, um, you know, now all these guys are, are believers. So there's just an example of, of, you know, taking people who used to believe in Reagan era drug policy <laughs> and, okay, this and is now good. they're investing yeah. in a psychedelic healing center. Yeah. Isn't I crazy? That's, I'm so glad you mentioned the contrast because, you know, people coming and investing in something is one thing, but coming from such a different set of beliefs, and this is what I'm discovering um, across the board is after ayahuasca, we're so much more open, and those divisions, those dividing lines seem to be dissolving all over, and, you know, it, it, you can't help but be enthusiastic about something that has the capacity to change the world in that way, and and religion can't do it because it's another dividing line, and I'm not against religion, you know, as I used to be. I, I understand it a lot better. Um, I don't participate particularly, you know, as an individual, I, it's not my thing. You know, I'm not into the kinds of, of rules and, and rigidness that come along with a lot of religions, but, but I get it. But it's, it's what I think that people were drawn for it for a reason, because they wanted this kind of outcome that you're describing right now, you know, the, that love and that sharing and that openness and, and that possibility of changing the world. I mean, you know, ayahuasca is actually making it happen. Yeah, you know, um, I was also fortunate enough to be at the at the the Maps conference, the psychedelic science conference in Oakland this year, past April. Wonderful. Um, you know, Maps is the yep. the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. Absolutely, uh, fantastic <laughs> organization, and they're making all kinds of tangible progress in the whole like research and and um, um, scheduling aspect of of these. Uh, psychedelic medicines. Oh yeah, Rick but Goblin's one amazing. Of, <laughs> one of the funny, the fundamental takeaways that I got from there, the fundamental beliefs that everyone seemed to share. You know, whether they were working with uh, mushrooms or with uh, ayahuasca or peyote or San Pedro or you know just there because they had an interest in in this movement, is that people authentically believe that these medicines can transform society. And the message that was coming out of that conference was a very strong ecological message. Mm -hmm. was that, you know, we're in this critical juncture in time where humanity is basically either going to take the world down or, you know, turn it around so that we can actually figure out a way to thrive in harmony with the environments here. Sure. And a lot of people, you know, it, it seems to be that these medicines can instill people with a desire to see that happen. A desire, as Jim Fadiman um, says in, in the, the documentary we're about to release uh, coming up soon here, is uh, you come away with a desire to not see the natural world be destroyed. Absolutely. And, you know, a big part of that, though, is, is uh, when you learn... A, a lot about the wisdom that comes out of these experiences, you start to learn that, you know, it all begins with us. You know, if we're destroying ourselves, of course, we're going to destroy our environment, that which we depend on. So if we're not 
able to transform inside, inner, do this inner transformation, there, there is no hope for, for the external because we can't, we don't have it in us to give that kind of love and it has to start with us, you know, and it's not as though right. we can't go about things um, from the outside in. We absolutely can, but if we don't pay attention to that element, it's not going to be sustained, you know, we, we have to, to know how it is to care for ourselves in order to know what it will take to care for everything and everyone around us. And it's got to start with us. And that's the integrative piece um, right. that, that I believe deeply in. You know, you mentioned MAPS, and um, I just we did a telecast here in Toronto that we were sharing this telecast with that featured Rick Doblin and uh, Dennis McKenna. And all these psychedelic groups in various cities all over North America joined us. And Rick Doblin put up um, a, a picture, I guess, of, of um, media outlets that had that had shared the stories um, of the things that Maps is working on and he's working on. And it was amazing to see the icons listed there. Now, years ago, when I was a, um, I was a. And a very angry activist, <laughs> it would have made me fume to see some of these names up there, like military organizations and government organi organizations, um, and 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 Forbes, and and then all these other, you know, just mainstream outlets. It, it would have made me furious. But suddenly, I'm looking at it, you know, years later after all this integration and all this medicine, and I'm going, "This is amazing! Look at who's coming together." And there were very hippie type, you know, outlets as well. And I'm I'm looking at this all together on one page, saying, "Look." at the possibilities right there all of these different organizations coming from all these different belief systems and yet they're all sharing an interest in this you know that says it well, all. well <laughs> ultimately everybody wants to solve the problems of society i think you know? so too and you got donald trump up there talking about opioid crisis as a national public health emergency well you know if he actually cares about solving the problems hey man let's start looking at plant medicines here and i wouldn't be surprised if these guys wake up and uh, and start going down that path, you know, it, because ultimately, if they if they want to solve the problem, then you have to look at the potential solutions, and it would be and lovely. you don't need to have the same belief system in order to find tangible solutions that work to solve a collective problem. I agree, and I would love to discuss this more, but we're at the end of our time here. Thank you so much for joining us, Dan. It's been lovely talking to you. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> All right. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.